Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. For more information and to donate online, go to 3cr.org.au. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 25th of August 2019. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 8.55 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash radio blue, from where you can stream our broadcast and you will also find a number of previously aired episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. You can also check us out on Facebook, that's facebook.com forward slash out of the blue radio. We acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders past and present and to future and emerging generations. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook and today's weather a top of 13 degrees. Uh, if you're out and about on the bay we're looking at um, a southwesterly breeze 15 to 20 kilometres an hour and uh, getting lighter in the afternoon. There's a uh, chance of showers so as always uh, please take care if you're getting into our beautiful bay or waterways in the state of Victoria. Today it's a case of welcome back to the 3CR studio. I'm joined by Dr Hugh Kirkman who has been a guest on the show before. It was actually back on the 27th of November 2016. Where the hell's the time gone? Um, Hugh, how are you today? Thank you, Andrew. Uh, I'm very well. Um, I really like coming back to this program because I enjoyed the last one there. Oh, excellent, um, yeah. 
Yeah, you interviewed very well, Hewitt. It's always good having you back. Um, I'm a marine biologist working now on coastal management. Um, I talked last time on seagrass, um, which was the main part of my work with CSIRO, who I was with for um, about 28 years. But um, um, since then, I've been involved as a consultant with coastal management yeah. as my main uh, theme of work, including being on the scientific working group for marine protected areas in South Australia. And I was on that group um, for six years. Um, we were directly responsible to the minister in South Australia. Good one. I remember, uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, um, Hugh and I had known each other, I think it was 2011 when we did the, uh, I remember the first time I met you, Hugh, it was down at uh, Apollo Bay Harbour, where we were doing a great big uh, clean-up of the uh, Undaria, um, which is the uh, invasive Japanese kelp, and Parks Victoria wanted everyone to go out and check this stuff out, and uh, and try and rip as much of it out of the uh, the area as we possibly could, and we did. We pulled out about something like uh, five to six tonnes of it from, from memory. Um, but that was my first introduction to uh, Dr Hugh Kirkman and since then we've been on a lot of uh, we're on quite a few committees together the Australian Marine Sciences Association which I'll uh, I'll give a plug to a little bit later on in the show they've got an, uh, an interesting event coming up and also the Jawbone Marine Sanctuary Care Group um, out at Williamstown so we've uh, we've crossed paths quite a bit um, and continue to do so and uh, and, and catch up uh, fairly frequently so um, the, the whole purpose of the show today was to sort of discuss some of the marine protection areas and I remember last time I had you on the air Hugh we played uh, Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel was the song and <laughs> the rationale for that was you've uh, you, you've uh, got something of a reputation about um, you know telling it how it is you, you, you never have to ask you what do you mean by that exactly so that's uh, uh, it's uh, something we'll discuss today around uh, marine protected areas. Hugh can you give us a bit of an outline of um, just as you were before about um, what, you, what your involvement in marine protected area uh, marine protected areas is? I'll try and do it as a sledgehammer, yeah. <laughs> as you say, Andrew. Um, marine protected areas in Victoria are very poorly representative of our coast. Okay. Um, the the Commonwealth um, uh, about ten years ago signed the um, Convention on Biological Diversity, which states that Australia will preserve and conserve ten percent of each bioregion of the coast. Okay. Now, there are 41 bioregions in Australia and there are five in Victoria. What was supposed to happen was that we would um, uh, choose, as a marine park, two uh, marine parks in each of the bioregions that we have. This was never really done. Okay. So when um, we, just for the benefit of our, of our yeah. listeners there, Hugh, when we talk about bioregions, what exactly are we discussing uh, there? They are um, areas that... Um, ecologists, marine ecologists, um, have chosen where the sea temperature is different and different species live and different species breed and where there are sometimes there are things called upwellings, which means deep uh, cold water comes to the surface with nutrients and these might provide um, uh, a help to some of the plants that are growing there. So they're different in different areas throughout the state. And as you know, the, we go from Eden through to South Australia um, and there are different temperatures in the water all the way through there. So there are five bioregions like that. Yeah. Different species 
of animals and plants. Right. And uh, as I was mentioning before, for example, uh, Jawbone Marine Sanctuary at Williamstown, um, that's got an area of uh, 30 uh, hectares. Uh, Point Cook Marine Sanctuary is the largest of the northern Victorian, oh, sorry, northern Port Phillip Bay uh, marine protected area. So that's uh, that's. 290 hectares and I think Ricketts Point from memory is about 115 hectares so as far as the sizing of those particular uh, marine protected areas and what they're designed to protect um, where do you sit on on that? Um, I find find those rather small Um, when I worked in South Australia on the uh, best size for a marine protected area we came to the conclusion that um, about 35 square kilometres was a good size. Square kilometres, wow. not hectares. Yes. Um, was a good size for a marine protected area. And, and we came to that conclusion that would mean that about seven kilometres of coastline would have to be conserved because our the state waters only go out um, about five kilometres, the three nautical miles. Three nautical miles, um, yep. And um, that's about five, so seven fives of 35. Mm. And uh, so the suggestion was that um, everything else being equal, 35 square kilometres would be a good size. Now, you can imagine uh, what the fishermen would say if um, Point Cook were joined with the, um, with uh, Jawbone. Right, yes. To so give a, a reasonably sized marine protected area. Yes, so for uh, that that would that would be a, a sanctuary that stretches all the way from Point Cook, right? It covers right through. Um, that'll be include uh, Altona, Altona yeah. and go all the way across to Williamstown. Yep. So that's a, a great big slice of uh, of coastline that would be protected area. So that uh, if you did provide an area like that, then that would would have um, inherent within its design that would be ecological protection, wouldn't it? That'd be biodiversity protection essentially yes that's the idea of it but again um, that wasn't neither of those were chosen as a as a representative area of a bioregion right yep so I would like if if everything was equal I'd like to go back to choosing marine protected areas in the specific bioregions of Victoria. Yeah, good one. Okay. Um, so with, with Jawbone, do we know what that was designed around? Now, that's a very, as you say, it's a route, let's, let's be honest, it's a very tiny marine sanctuary, 30 hectares. Um, it, it appears that it was uh, based around at least some uh, protection of the white mangroves that are in the area. Um, that, but uh, also consider that there was the rifle range. Yep. And that area there was never... Nobody ever went into that area because they might have got shot. Fear of getting shot, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so it was considered at the time that this was a good spot for marine protected areas for no other reason than that. Yeah, right. Now, it does have reef, it has mangrove, and um, uh, fish, of course, associated with those. Um, The seagrass is, is quite predominant there as well. And these are all useful things to have in a marine protected areas because they're representative of our coast. Yep. But they, they weren't chosen through the um, International Union of Conservation of Nature principles, um, which there are 14. But, um, and those are, those are what we tried to use in South Australia um, for six years. Right. Going through, uh, over the whole state because I had mapped the whole of the state earlier in my career so we knew where the reefs were and the seagrass beds were and the mangrove was because of my mapping. Yeah. So we knew that, but we were totally compromised yep. by 
uh, fishermen and the oil and uh, fisher, fishers and the oil and gas industry. Right. Okay. So as it stands today, how how would you rate the uh, marine protected area structures uh, in South Australia? Like, also, also terrible. Really. Um, and it was the only state that really used the proper- ten scientists uh, of their of, of its scientists, marine scientists, to choose these places. Now, I must say, I was earlier than that. I was on the um, first report for marine protected areas in Western Australia for about four or five years, and the result of that was something called the Wilson Report. But they, they haven't. I think they've got one or two. Ningaloo is a marine protected area, and there's one, one other. Yeah. That's all, and that was 20 years ago. I did that. Yeah, right. Okay. So, so it's very poor in all the states. The only, the only thing I'm not criticising is the marine is the Great Barrier Reef. Right. But otherwise, all states are the same. Very much compromised by other users. Other users. Yes. So where do, where do you stand on uh, in the next few weeks? I should uh, give our listeners a bit of a heads up. I'll have uh, again. It'll be a welcome back to the studio to Steve. Uh, sorry, uh, Tim Kermy from uh, Native Fish Australia, who um, is is pretty keen on the the uh, Victorian Fisheries Authority's uh, brief that they uh, a lot of our listeners would have heard of it. Target one million, where there's been obviously a big uh, shift in the in the the landscape, or more accurately, the sea. Scra- sea Escape, I guess you could say, around um, recreational fishing. So they've banned commercial fishing in Port Phillip Bay, um, essentially, and and now they're tar- it's target one million. They're trying to get one million fishers involved in uh, recreational fishing activities uh, throughout uh, throughout Victoria. Uh, where do you stand on that, Hugh? With bearing in mind what we're saying about marine protected areas, um, where what do you think about the whole target one million strategy? I just hope, I just hope there are a million fish out there <laughs> to be caught by these these guys, but um, and and you can see from that just from that statement, we should have some areas that are restricted for the uh, fish to breed in, um, f- for the small ones to grow in. The juveniles live in seagrass or mangrove or something like that, and and we've got to keep areas quite clear of any. Um, uh, uh, damage by well damage any uh, taking these fish out of out of there sure. and they belong they they have originally come from there yeah and they've set up the what's happening in the ecology of the whole of the bay yep it's it's these top predators that people are catching but also there's a food web going all the way down it might be three or four steps or more yep going all the way down to bacteria and uh, tiny amphipods which live on the bottom which may be two millimeters long yep Yep, absolutely. It's the whole the yep. whole trophic web. Yep. All right, well, we might uh, we might quickly break it up a bit. Um, we'll go to a uh, a song just quickly. Here's uh, taking this town uh, by taking the town. Sorry, by Ice House.
3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Okay, just um, before we go back to Dr Hugh Kirkman um, discussing our uh, very interesting topic of marine protected areas today, I just wanted to uh, quickly get a few uh, items um, of interest that have uh, come up uh, across to our viewers. Uh, Tim Kermy and Brian Daniels and Native Fish Australia will be uh, actually hosting an annual general meeting and uh, barbecue at um, Melbourne Polytechnic's Epping Campus um, on Wednesday for. Uh, Wednesday 4th of September from 5.30pm. So that's at the Aquaculture Training and Applied Research Centre. Uh, For those that are interested, jump onto the Native Fish Australia website if you're not yet a member and are a keen fisher and want to get into that uh, side of things, um, by all means do so. Likewise, um, we've got the Wyndham Learning uh, Festival, um, the War on Waste. Uh, Some of our listeners will be familiar with Craig Rucastle from the ABC. Um, That's at the Encore Events Centre, 80 Derrimut Road, uh, Hoppers Crossing in the 
uh, in the next little while. Uh, it's actually next weekend from memory. I think the 7th of September, Saturday 7th of September. Uh, so uh, check that out if you're in town. And also another plug for the Australian Marine Sciences Association. Um, this is a, uh, the committee group that um, myself and Hugh Kirkman are on, as I mentioned before. But AMSA, uh, for those young scientists that are keen to uh, get into AMSA and get themselves involved, it's a, it's a great way forward and opens up lots of networking opportunities. They're hosting a um, Saturday 21st of September at RMIT in the city. They've got uh, My Friend the Jellyfish, which is a, a fantastic thing that's been running now for a few years. And that's based around the idea that, uh, again, people can network and hear from scientists who have uh, made it in their uh, respective fields and get a feel from how they managed to do what they did. And there's all sorts of things in that uh, around, you know, uh, academic leadership and scholarship and all these sorts of things, as well as things like volunteering and all those sorts of things that uh, myself and Hugh do quite a uh, quite a bit. So it's uh, well worth checking out for those young budding scientists that are uh, that are keen to start eking out um, a career in the uh, the fascinating field of marine sciences. Okay, Hugh, back to uh, what we were discussing before about the marine protected areas. A couple of things. Can you tell our listeners a bit about, um, uh, I, I guess, one of the key things for marine protected areas is assessing how well they're actually working. Um, there's been some really interesting work going on lately with uh, uh, trawls, uh, beam trawls that have been set up um, around seagrass beds and that sort of thing. Can you, can you tell us the, the latest and greatest info uh, relating to those activities? Um, yes. Um, Andrew, in... Um uh, in 1973, when I was with CSIRO, we um, did something called beam trawling, which meant pulling a, um, a trawl net through a seagrass bed or on a bare, or on bare sand. The, the beam trawl was one metre wide and 50 centimetres high, and the mesh of the net in it was about three millimetres with a cod end of one millimetre. Right. Now, we pulled these uh, for 50 metres. That was one sample. And we caught um, in, in this is in Morton Bay in Brisbane, um, and what we were after was juvenile prawns to find out where they were and how how their seasonality. But in that stuff, we caught all sorts of other things, all sorts of animals, and um, it's a very good way of finding an inventory of what lives in these areas. Now, with the same beam trawl that I I kept it, um, I've started to use that at um, Albany in, in West Australia, in, um, on Kangaroo Island in South Australia, and uh, in Western Port Bay here, and now we've just done some at um, Jawbone. Right. And what we've done is we're mainly selecting seagrass, but we try and do it through the bare sand as well to show people, and, and ourselves of course, um, what the large differences are in the seagrass and in the... In the um, Bare, bare sand or mud. Um, the animals, um, and they may be one or two, three millimetres long, so they're, not, they're very, very small. Um, we catch them with this beam trawl uh, at night because they only come out at night because they fear predators, of course, and they also live in the, in the sheaths of the seagrass. Right. So in one sample we might catch, well, I know we did, in one sample, 94 different species of these animals. Wow. Which is quite a large number. Now, to identify those, we have to have a taxonomist. And we, we use um, 
a, a woman called Linda, Linda Avery, and she has done that for us. She used to work for the museum and do this, and she does this work for other people as well. Yep. But she's done this work for us um, now, and that's where our funding needs to go because someone's got to pay her to do such a big job. Um, so these 94 species, she's identified them, and we, they've got them, we've kept them, one species from each uh, group, each, uh, each well, one spe- uh, sample from each species. Sure. Um, the, tr- the trawl has, has skids on it and a roller so that it doesn't damage the seagrass as we pull it over it. Right. But it does, do, it does catch most of these animals. Larger fish, more than 15 centimetres, swim out because yep. we're going so slowly. So we don't catch any, any fish or... We might have caught an eel, which we usually let go yep. occasionally, but uh, really we don't catch any big stuff. Um, oh, and cool. um, so, so then um, the conclusion of this is I write a report on what we caught, how these animals fit in the food web, and we take some photos, make it into a poster or a colourful um, brochure, and then hand these to school kids Fantastic. because we want the kids to understand what a food web is and explain to the, their parents why marine protected areas are important to save catching the top predators, the animals that are eating two steps down, these tiny little things we're catching. Yep. Oh, fantastic um, stuff. So... Um, so that's obviously a very important process, isn't it? Because uh, on the one hand, you look at it and say, well, if you're doing this in a marine protected area, obviously you need your permits and all that sort of yes. thing sorted out well in advance through uh, through Parks Victoria or the yes. relevant department. Fisheries too. Yeah, fi- yeah. yes, yeah. yeah, fisheries, the uh, Victorian Fisheries Authority. So, um, but but it is uh, it is a necessary evil in the sense that, okay, you're taking out a, a certain number of animals, but they're relatively small. Do we have any feel for how long it would take for those to be replaced in that particular area with that sort of activity? When we <clears throat> we do three samples at each site and we go over the same spot with the next in as soon as we get back to it, just turn around and do it again. No difference. Right. <laughs> so it doesn't even deplete the numbers. We don't, no, we don't have fewer in the next two samples at all. Yep. Okay. So as opposed to a situation where you might get, say, an abalone poaching ring that goes down on a marine protected area, rips out the abalone, then you would expect it to yep. take a hell because those are quite old um, old uh, animals Perhaps. in the sense. That, yep. Yeah, yeah. So old shellfish that um, that are on the bottom, so you could expect that to take a quite a while. So, yeah, uh, that, that's amazing. So no difference in the numbers because no, they all, all get immediately replaced because they're yes. all transiting in and out of the space all the time. Yep. Yeah. Ah, very good. Very interesting stuff. Now, on a on a um, an interesting note, Hugh, in, which uh, obviously speaks of your professionalism and how well you're regarded in the field. Can you tell us a little bit? Uh, I understand you've got a. There's a chapter that you're going to be writing for the uh, the United Nations based around the uh, the seagrasses. Um, yes. Um, uh, at the beginning of the year, I was asked to write a chapter on the global state of environment for seagrass. And I was made the lead author of, of the chapter wow. of the pool of experts for the second global integrated marine assessment of the state of the marine environment, including socio-economic aspects by the Office of the Legal Affairs of the United Nations. Oh, now, no. I read that off a piece of paper. Because <laughs> yeah, 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 you have to. With, it's with massive. United <laughs> Nations speech, um, they've always got stuff like that. Uh, but that's what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, 
and uh, it's quite difficult because they did one two years ago and they don't want any repeats. Yes, yeah, so, so I've got to find something new tweaking. that's yep. happened in the world, um, which uh, there are a couple of things that, that are happening that no one else has oh, mentioned before. That, good one, good one. Yeah. So it's, uh, have there, has there been much development in that area? Is it a fairly rapidly evolving and changing situation? Oh, People are working on seagrasses all the time um, now and there are more and more people working on restoration of seagrass because um, it, uh, seagrass beds, mangrove and salt marsh are considered um, between 10 and 50 times better holders of carbon dioxide than a rainforest. Wow. And this is because the uh, soil in the, in, in the um, seagrass bed is covered in water, so the CO2 can't escape. Yep, so that even though it's the plants, the leaves, the shoots and things are breaking off as they die, they're being broken down by these little animals and bacteria, but the CO2 stays there. Whereas with a rainforest, that's a climax community, a community that's finished growing. It's not growing any bigger all the time. It's just putting on new leaves, discarding leaves, putting on new shoots, discarding shoots and branches and so on. But these are being broken down on the surface of the rainforest where the CO2 goes back into the atmosphere. Right. So rainforests are not... They hold a lot of carbon, but they're not very good holders of carbon dioxide. Right. Because it's turning over all the time. Okay. But seagrass, mangrove and salt marsh are. Very good. Well, thanks a million for coming into the studio today, Hugh. That's very much appreciated. Um, Stay tuned for Out of the Pan with Sally and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.